Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro again with our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. As always, a humbling experience doing this uh, podcast on a weekly basis. Uh, it's been fun this past week. Uh, I've got lots of phone calls and emails, and hopefully I've gotten back to most of you guys. Um, started to get an influx of listeners who have come out, uh, we talked to me previously, but it come out, um, from various parts of the United States for me to do, uh, neuropsych evals on, on them. So again, very humbling, um, endeavor. And I look forward to continuing to work with you guys. And as always, feel free to get in contact with me. Um, I always said I, I view my work as just my modest version of God's work and doing the best I can to help um, people struggling um, with mental health issues and people who are involved with a loved one, a friend, a family member who are struggling with mental health issues. So I don't do a lot of reading on these podcasts. As I've said, most of this, generally, it's always off the top of my head. And, um, you know, thinking of topics, uh, we're going to focus on narcissistic personality disorder. And I think this episode is going to be more, I'd like it to be more educational, and we will segue back to it at some point. Um Again, you know, I look at the analytics and statistics from the podcast and just how widely, uh, never imagined that it would reach a worldwide audience and in so many territories and cities. And, and again, very grateful for that. Um, but I, there was a psychologist, um, Julie had got me introduced to him and she, I think somebody introduced him to her. His name, uh, is Wayne Dyer. And he did a phenomenal job of incorporating psychology, philosophy, science, religion, spirituality. He would do a pilgrimage every year uh, to Assisi and uh, had the you know grace of God, had the fortunate opportunity of being able to go there with my father uh, and Julie on our annual trips to Italy and um Actually, my patron saint, because my birthday is on October 4th, and it was a beautiful experience. But I don't know what series it was in, but he he had referenced something. He did just a phenomenal job of intertwining um, different scientists and philosophers, psychologists, pioneers in the field. And it just came to me, and that's kind of how these episodes do. They just kind of come to me. And there was uh, – it, it's called – Rule number six, and uh, I'm going to read this to you, okay? Two prime ministers are sitting in a room discussing affairs of state. Suddenly, a man bursts in, apologetic with fury, shouting and stamping and banging his fist on the desk. The resident prime minister admonishes him. Peter, he says, kindly remember rule number six whereupon Peter is instantly restored to complete calm, apologizes, and withdraws. The politicians return to their conversation, only to be interrupted yet again 20 minutes later by a hysterical woman gesticulating widely, her hair flying. Again, the intruder is greeted with the words, Marie, please remember rule number six. Complete calm descends once more, and she too withdraws with a bow and an apology when the scene is repeated for the third time, the visiting prime minister addresses his colleague. 
My dear friend, I've seen many things in my life, but never anything as remarkable as this. Would you be willing to share with me the secret of rule number six? Very simple, replied the resident prime minister. Rule number six is, don't take yourself so seriously. Ah, says the visitor, that is a fine rule. After a moment of pondering, he inquires, and what, may I ask, are the other rules? There aren't any. Rule number six relates very much to borderline personality because of the intense sense of entitlement and the amount of seriousness they placed on their individual self-importance. It is a disorder that you rarely see in a mental health setting, whether that is individual private practice, whether that is in uh, a large outpatient practice, the narcissist, if you go back to the episodes on borderline personality disorder, and I talk about the different bunnies, this is the most pristine of all the bunnies. This is, this is like, you know, Godiva on crack. This is, this is the one everybody wants because it's so glorious. It's so beautiful. It's so mag- magical. But the bunny is hollow. There is nothing inside. And I've used this analogy before. Um, if you go back to the Wizard of Oz, that is narcissism. This powerful voice, this commanding ruler of a kingdom. The narcissist is terrified, terrified internally. They will never show it externally, but they are terrified of Toto pulling the curtain because they are vapid and empty inside. It's all an exterior personality. That's why, again, if I use the puzzle piece boxes in terms of borderline pathology, dependent personality pathology, uh, even antisocial personality pathology, uh, this, this puzzle box is either empty or has maybe one piece in there. And the, the narcissist will do whatever they have to, to make sure that one, you admire the box and you almost kiss the ring of the box metaphorically, but that you are never, ever, ever going to get inside because there's nothing there, but they will make you believe that the pieces that are in there are the best, the most pristine, beautiful, gorgeous pieces. So I, I'm, I'm going to, I want to make sure because narcissism in and of itself is not necessarily pathological. Having a healthy sense of narcissism, I think is, is adaptive and you can maybe equate that with a level of self-confidence, a level of self-assuredness, but the healthy level does not have the destructive force of suppressing other people and, and having a superiority complex. So self-confidence is for, I think, I don't know. I, again, I use this term for the, for the normal population. Self-confidence is, you know, our own sense of self for the, for the narcissist self-confidence is, what they crave it's not what they have it's what they crave and they almost it's almost delusional in thinking not in a psychotic sense but delusional to get people to gravitate 
towards them. So the diagnostic criteria, again, similar to, to borderline, meaning five out of nine of the diagnostic criteria. So, so the first one is a grandiose sense of self-importance. The person exaggerates their achievements and talents, and they expect to be recognized as superior without commensurate achievements. So this is the person that say, hey, where'd you go to college? I went to Harvard and I got my uh, master's and PhD at MIT. Oh, that's awesome. The reality is they went to a community college and got their associate's degree in European basket weaving, but they're going to convince you that they got their PhD in astrophysics. If you ask to see their diploma, oh, you know what? We we just moved. It's in. A, I always wanted to see a diploma from Harvard or from MIT. Yeah, love 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 to show it to you. Um, but we just moved. Once we get settled in the new house, yeah, absolutely, you can see it. Um, Boy, you should see the boat we just bought. 60 feet. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you should come out on sometime. A few weekends later, hey, Tom, you don't want to go out on the boat? Oh, you know what? We're having some work done on it. I'm not really not happy with the, with the Yamaha motors. The whole reality is there is no boat. There is no MIT or Harvard degree. So they present themselves as having these accolades, but are unable to substantiate with any type of proof. Another diagnostic criteria is they're preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. They, again, this is where that delusional thinking comes that they are the be all end all of uh, humanity. Third, they believe that they are special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other special high people or institutions. Um, so in, in, in um, Massachusetts, Mass General is the number one hospital in the country and probably the world. Um, they will go to... They will only go to Mass General. If you ask them to go to Beth Israel, um, Brigham and Women's, these are also hospitals that are Harvard affiliated through the Partners Network. They will only be treated by the best. They're going to say, I want to see the chief of surgery. I want to see the chief of this department. They believe that they are entitled to that. and, And they have no reservations about it. They make no qualms about it. They believe that they deserve special treatment and... You know, in the restaurant, uh, I don't. I'm not going to sit in the middle. I deserve to sit at the best table. And how dare you question, or how dare you place me somewhere else? And they can be very, very um, punitive, in and even just just mean if you if you if somebody is not validating their their sense of self. Um, which again is is, is vapid. Uh, they require excessive admiration. Um, it was bizarre, uh, during Donald Trump's presidency, watching a news conference where whoever, you know, was a rotating group of people that were serving under him, that they went around the room and everybody said, how, thank you so much, Mr. President, for allowing me to work. They, they, they televised this. They they, they they televise this specific diagnostic criteria. It was it was the epitome, if you could put a picture in the DSM, of of, of kissing the ring. And if you don't kiss the ring, you are going to face the fury and the wrath 
of the narcissist because from a, the narcissistic injury is revenge. Not ang- it's anger, but it's not just anger. It's revenge. Um, number five, uh, a sense of entitlement, unreasonable expectations of especially favorable treatment or automatic compliance with th- their expectations. It's almost as if the the world or, or other individuals uh, should have telepathy and automatically know what the narcissist wants, whether it's communicate to them or not. You should just know. And how dare you if you question and how dare you if you don't meet that demand. Um, they are interpersonally exploitative. They take advantage of others to achieve their own ends. They will be your best friend and they will sell you out. They, they, it, 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 they, they have no regard for the impact of their behavior on other people. And they believe they are completely justified in doing it. But, you know, interpersonally exploitative, that, that, that's a pretty serious psychiatric symptom and this could manifest in 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 relationships and it's a non-clinical term that i've been hearing more and more of of gaslighting of of it's basically convincing another person to question that they may be the root of the problem that they may be the source of the conflict in the marriage or the relationship. And I think it relates to this specific diagnostic criteria very much because you see this a lot sometimes in, in um, couples therapy. Uh, a narcissist isn't coming in for individual therapy. Maybe if they hit rock bottom, maybe. And that's a real strong and slim maybe. But this term gaslighting, we'll do an episode on that. Uh, you start to almost question yourself, like, maybe maybe it is me. Maybe I, I'm not giving him or her enough attention. Maybe I, I, I was supposed to know what they mean. There, and, and, you know, this is so, because of his personality, it's so automatic. It's not so much deliberate, and it's not so much calculating as it is just an automatic infrastructure of who the person is and in relation to that they the uh, the seventh diagnostic criteria is they lack empathy and they are unwilling to recognize or identify with the feelings or needs of others they will shake your hand and smile they will they, they will show up at your at your family's uh wake um you know in the fortunate event of a spouse or um uh, a family member that that's passed away, but they have no emotion whatsoever. They're showing up in the best suit to make sure that they people say, "Hey, he was there," and they're going for the accolades. And they'll write the long thing in 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 the in the book in, in the funeral parlor. They'll write the most ornate thing and how grateful they were for the person, whatever. They don't mean any of it. It's all about manipulation and validating their sense of self-esteem because they they do not have one at all. Um, 
they are often envious of others and believe that others are envious of them. It's a constant competition. But would they ever sh- show envy? Never, because env- if if they if you show envy, you show weakness, and if you show weakness, you show fear, and if you show fear, you reveal the 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 um you reveal vulnerability, and and v- narcissists are incredibly vulnerable they're fragile their self-esteem is so fragile that's why they will lash out at people and and convince people that they are the ones that are causing them any kind of distress um they also the ninth criteria um they show arrogant haughty behaviors and attitudes okay julie's writing notes here for me to talk so i'm going to have her come on and oh. as opposed to telling tell telling me what to talk about julie just stop writing stuff just get on here i think that sometimes people can i think we live in a very narcissistic society um and i think that people really when they have narcissistic tendencies, and I think everyone, most people, besides Mother Teresa, uh, are, you know, genuinely um, have have the ability to be narcissistic. Um, I think if you ever are in a situation where you um, have an opportunity to, um, let's like for an example, uh, meet someone who could further your career. Um, you know, narcissists generally are only interested in you if you can serve them in some way. I think that's the bottom line. Um, and if, if, if not, they really don't want anything to do with you and they won't give you the time of day. But if you get into a relationship with someone who's narcissistic, it can be an experience where people feel like they're banging their head against the wall because they can be very emotionally unavailable. And, um, and they, they have zero insight. So they don't have the ability or capacity to look inward and say, Hey, you know, let's, th- th- that was my fault. You know, they generally don't say they're sorry. They do, they don't hold themselves accountable. And that's why the relationships break down or often don't time, don't even, you know, they don't, uh, they don't, uh, I, I'm not, I'm falling on my face here, but relationships don't, the relationships don't get off the ground and because they, they're superficial generally. So, um, that's just been my experience working with patients who have been involved with people who have narcissism. Um, and, you know, and it can be very destructive in relationships. Um, and narcissists do really well with individuals with dependent personality disorder. Uh, that'll be, again, a different topic because dependent personality and borderline share many different features, but there's a few subtle differences that, that kind of separate the two. But a narcissist uh, would love to be with a dependent because the dependent is their whole world is to try to please other people. So, you know, something called the goodness of fit model. Um but narcissism is, you've seen it and talked with a lot of my colleagues, uh, especially with those who do like marriage and family therapy. Um, they'll come in, but they'll try to, they'll, they will do everything to make sure it's, it's like, hey, I'm showing up, but it's not me. It's her or it's him, you know, and they, they often will, if they're called out, 
by a, a clinician, they will often terminate therapy prematurely if they have any sense that you're onto them, or they will lash out. They will they will they will file a complaint. You know, so it's it, it's a very scary and dangerous personality. Um, obsessive compulsive personality disorder is very different than obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, they are not synonymous with each other at all. I'll do an episode on the differentiation between the two of those, or just do one episode on one, one on the other, because if they're two totally different, one's personality, one's psych- psychiatric, even though these are all psychiatric conditions. So, you know, a lot of people don't even realize that they're involved with a narcissist because there is a certain level of charm. There's a certain level of of a, a wanting to be associated with this person because they have a magnanimous personality. There, there's a, a social psychology term called basking in reflected glory. So, you know, say you have uh, a friend who's a major celebrity and you're out, uh, say, in the streets of Boston and everybody recognizes a celebrity and you're right alongside them. Your self-esteem is enhanced because you're basking in the glory that the celebrity is receiving from all the fans who want autographs or pictures and just by mere association. I don't think that's necessarily pathological unless you live your life in order to keep doing that and just only associate with people that could validate yourself. Okay, Julie's writing something else here. What is this? Um, put others. Oh, oh, they are very good at putting others down. And there's, you know, uh, talk about if you go back to the locus of control episode, <laughs> there's no internal locus of control. Everything is externalized. They they will they will claim success if something works out in their in their way they claim success because of its their personal ability if something that they've done fails they will blame everybody else they accept no i'm not even saying little responsibility they accept no responsibility and the scary part it's not like even in private that they're reflecting and being like oh my god i i'm i'm doing this i can't they have there's no insight none Many narcissists are very intelligent. Uh, people want to be around them. Again, this is in the cluster B group with, with borderline, with antisocial, with histrionic. But this is this is a disorder that that can destroy you, and it can make you question your own sanity. It can make you almost believe, like, yeah, maybe maybe it is my fault. You know, or or maybe I am not good enough because if you do not meet a narcissist needs and males and females can both be narcissists. I think there's, again, something diagnostic overshadowing. What does that say? So, I mean, what do you mean parents? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you, if you have parents that were narcissistic, they, I mean, the, the etiology, as I said, personality is crystallized between five and eight years of age. Uh, many narcissists are uh, overly praised, overly uh, rewarded. They, they believe that I'm the captain of the, the, the football team. I'm the captain of the basketball team. And the, and the parents display the trophies. You develop almost this. It, it's really a superiority complex. Or the flip side is it's a complete 
if you even you don't receive that from your parents, it's a complete not compensation. Adler differentiated compensation versus overcompensation. This is complete overcompensation. I just don't become the the manager of my co- a company. I I deserve and I believe I should be the CEO. That that that's the mindset of a narcissist. That complete sense of entitlement. And if you don't give it to me. How dare you? And I will make you pay for it in whatever capacity without any regard. And that goes back to that lack of empathy. There is no empathy in narcissism. And that's why you do not see them come into treatment. Um, I've diagnosed people with narcissism. Uh, they were able to pick that up through through psychological and neuropsychological evaluations. It's very, very, very hard to treat. And... Um, you know, if you're questioning yourself in a relationship of like, you know, use that term up, you know, look up gaslighting. Um, again, I've heard, started hearing this. I don't know if Julie has, but I've started hearing this term more and more. And the first time I heard it, I'm like, what, what, what is this? And I, you know, as I've more and more people saying it and you look at the relationship dynamics, it, there are narcissistic tendencies and there's just like with all the personality disorders, you can have tendencies and that's when you don't meet all of the full diagnostic criteria. And there's also the actual pathology where you do meet the full diagnostic criteria. And again, similar with borderline personality, five out of nine criteria, five times four times three times two times one is 120. So there's 120 different combinations of how narcissism manifests in a person. It's a very, it's a scary disorder because the, it's a scary disorder, not so much, I think, for the individual. It's a scary disorder for the people involved in the world of the narcissist because it's, it's, it's servitude. It's, it's uh, you better toe the line and you can't disagree. And if they find out and you can't confront a narcissist, and if you confront a narcissist, expect the revenge. Because that's how they have to level out the playing field. And the revenge will not be equal in the sense of regaining homeostasis. It will be much more punitive that you will pay for a transgression to the fragility of the psychological infrastructure or lack thereof of this severe psychopathology. So hopefully this was informative. Um, I always love when Julie slides me little notes of what to talk about and what to, what, what I'm missing. But, um, you know, take a look at yourselves. Take a look at your friends. Uh, again, healthy narcissism is not a bad thing. And I think that relates more to self-confidence, self-assuredness. But if your goal is to have a superiority complex, a God complex. I think that's really what narcissism is. It's, it's, it's really a God complex and it's destructive. And the problem is because of the lack of insight, that's why treatment is so difficult. And for a narcissist to go into a therapeutic environment, if they ever did, they're going to blame everybody else. And and really, they don't have insight. It's again, it's not like they reflect at night and say, "Oh my God, as they're saying their prayers, now they lay me down to sleep." Please, God, give me insight. I know what I'm doing. They, they they have no insight whatsoever, and that's the scary part. So, 
as always, um, feel free to reach out through Psychology Unplugged at Outlook.com. Uh, get in contact with me, as a lot of you guys have been doing through Psychology Today. Uh, my number in the United States, Eastern Standard Time, 617-750-9411. If you have any questions, information, want to see me for a neuropsych eval, need a consultation, whatever I can do or Julie can do with, with, the, with, with the skills that we have to help in the in the realm of mental health uh this is our passion this is our enjoyment um I, again thank you for all of your confidence in me and, and and a lot of you guys coming from different parts of the country to see me again i really appreciate it i'm very humbled uh until we meet again get vaccinated take care of yourselves take care of each other be well and become independent of the good opinions of other people bye guys <laughs>